people talk about Kona and, and what the race week involves and and that's part of it I think all this external noise and I let it filter in um, that because I was so wanting to embrace the week I didn't lock myself away I this is the race I wanted to do it's the race I'd seen 20 years before on television um, and to be there I was like a kid in a candy store it was a dream come true really that's Craig Alexander, three-time Ironman world champion, and you're listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. Electrolytes and different strengths that match how you sweat. You can get 15% off your first order with the code OxygenAddict15. And we're also brought to you by Thriver.co. It's a simple finger prick blood test you can do at home to track hormone, vitamin, and mineral levels in your body. You can get 10% off all subscriptions with the code OxygenAddict10. This week's interview, everybody, is a cracker. It is my great pleasure to bring you an interview with, frankly, a legend of the sport, with Craig Alexander Crowey. He is three-time Ironman world champion in 08, 09, and 11. He was two-time 70.3 world champion. Um, he's still racing at the very highest level and still winning races. Uh, the guy is an absolute legend, and so I've got an amazing interview with him. It's a really nice long one, actually. He was really incredibly generous with his time. Um, and the interview runs for nearly an hour, actually. So, yeah, I had a really good chance to ask him loads of questions. I've, I've always wanted to get Crowey on the show. He was one of the greatest, continues to be one of the greatest competitors. But certainly for those sort of four or five years when he was either winning or challenging for the win at uh, Kona, he he just looked like the Terminator on the run. He he used to be the image that I used when I was tutoring for the BTF um, in terms of like, look at this runner. There's a classic, I think I referred to it in the interview, there's a classic bit of video of him passing Chris Lieto. Chris Lieto had led off the bike and he looks absolutely knackered in this run shot. And Crowey looks just incredible. He's got perfect run form, even though it's mile, I don't know, 22 or 23. Um, so we get to talk a little bit about that and get an insight into, into his mindset, actually. I always looked at him and assumed, as I have done with a lot of these great athletes, these world champions, assumed that he's supremely confident, assumed he was very self-assured. But as you'll find out listening to this interview, that wasn't the case at all. And actually, the way things look are very often not the way things are. So yeah, listen out for that one a little bit later on. So I hope you've had a great week. I've managed to escape the confines of my village <laughs> for the first time in about 16 weeks this week. I went for a, a jaunt up to the Lake District in the camper van just for one day, um, zoomed up and had a, a swim in one of the lakes up there and then a three-hour mountain bike ride with a couple of pals of mine, appropriately socially distanced, mainly because they were both much stronger than me and rode away from me up the hills. But it was one of those two days last week where it was absolutely baking hot. The, the computer in the van was reading over 33 degrees by the time I parked up up in the Lake District, um, which made for fantastic open water swim. We had the old tow boy floats out behind us and got half an hour of open water swimming in, which is the first time I've swum in 16 weeks, actually. So it was really nice to get out there and have a swim again. Um, and then onto the mountain bike, we had three or four really big climbs to do and it was just too hot it was absolutely scorching there was no air as you can imagine going uphill at about two miles an hour it was uh it was too hot to be out there and to be alive but 
we did have a fantastic time I've got to say it was brilliant to get out and have a bit of an adventure just for a few hours so I encourage you if you can get out and you can do it safely and you can do it appropriately get out and have a bit of an adventure it was something very removed from my last 14 15 weeks of training which have pretty much all been on swift with a few more recent outdoor rides thrown into boot but um, it was nice to get outdoors and to give it a little bit in a different environment lining us the reason we did a mountain bike we're lining ourselves up for a bit of an adventure this coming weekend so more of which you'll find out next week on the show hopefully should i survive um needless to say it's my it's time for my annual just before my birthday if it doesn't scare you you should be doing something adventure do one thing every year that scares you as my friend moose used to say so we're getting out to do something that scares me this coming weekend so watch this space all right so um i've got to give a shout out to our sponsors precision hydration who basically kept me alive during that hot three-hour ride if it wasn't for their 1500 milligram sachets of electrolytes I would have been in cramp. I would have been in misery. I don't think I'd have made it through, if I'm perfectly honest. They make fantastic balanced electrolytes that match how you sweat. So you can go on their website. You can take a few questions that tell you whether you're a very heavy or a very salty sweater. If you are a very heavy or salty sweater, you can actually see them in person and you can have an in-person sweat test done. So you can have that done as we come out of lockdown. I don't think they're doing them at the moment. But for me, it was a game changer finding out I'd lose something like 1,600 milligrams of sodium per litre of sweat. So I'm one of the very saltiest sweaters out there. And so I've had hideous problems over the years with with cramp and with hyponatremia in hot Ironman races. Um, and so I'm very, very mindful to keep tops up with the electrolytes. It's something that I, I always make sure that I do, even if I'm just on the turbo for an hour. This morning, I was up for an hour before work and, and even had precision hydration in the bottle then. So massively massively recommend this product i don't just say that they are one of the products that i think is a game changer especially if you're a, a very heavy or very salty sweater so if you've not tried it before you can get 15 percent off your first order with the code oxygen addict 15 and get over to precisionhydration.com and take the online sweat test um so other bits and bobs of news i've noticed this week i'm going to give a shout out again to the pto the pto hub is be- fast becoming my go-to source of news about triathlon at the moment they're doing a great job of producing content this week they've got some athletes interview athletes stuff up there on video so chelsea sodaro interviews sarah piampiano and vice versa josh amberger interviews sam appleton and vice versa and there's a great video from lucy charles barkley giving open water swimming tips as well so if you're venturing out into open water for the first time this year and you're a little bit nervous about it. Lucy does a great job. You know, she's a she's a coach as well as a great athlete. She does a great job of going over the main points of the things that she would have you do in open water swimming. So I very much rate it actually. I was very impressed by it. So nice work, Lucy. Um it's only five minutes long or so, but they managed to pack a lot of information into the video. So get over onto the PTO hub and check that out. Right, Coach's Couch this week, I'm going to encourage you to come and ride with us on Zwift. Tuesday nights, 7.15. We didn't have a lot of riders last week, probably unsurprisingly, given the fact that it was, you know, 25, 28, heading towards 30 degrees. It was hard work, even with three fans, and it was misery on the Team Oxygen Addict Zwift ride on Tuesday night and on our team-only team time trial on Thursday night. That in particular, I had to move my turbo into the back garden to get that done. It was just ridiculously hot in my house. Um, But come ride with us. We have got 
structured interval training happening on Zwift, Tuesdays, 7.15pm UK time. All you've got to do is check out in the Zwift events. It's an official Zwift event, so you can just click going on that. Just be online five minutes or so before the event starts at 7.15. We've had a maximum, I think our biggest number ever was about 145 riders all on at once. So, Weather in the UK is looking a bit grey this week, so get on and join us. Guaranteed to raise your FTP and give you a faster, more powerful bike leg. Who knows when racing outdoors is going to resume, but you can get indoors and have a lot of fun on Zwift, either doing structured workouts or the Zwift races or Zwift time trials. Um, I'm going to give you a one-time offer just for this week only for the start of July up until we're going to say up until the end of Monday the 6th of July we've got five places available in Team Oxygen Addict that if you choose to take us up on one we're going to extend your annual coaching membership it would usually run for a year until again you know this time next year we're going to extend it all the way through to the end of september 2021 now we've run this once earlier this year it was really successful we closed it down and we're going to try and have a push to get only five members in in july so if it sounds like something you think you'd benefit from structured training with us come in join us up and if you join before monday the 6th of july and you're one of the first five to sign up we're going to extend that all the way to the end of september 2021 i don't think we're going to be able to do this offer again um this year so get in now if that's something that you really want to get in on i think we offer the most comprehensive most complete triathlon coaching package out there you get your training plan specific to you and the race that you're doing you get coaching advice from me and the coaching team in our private facebook group you also get coaching advice on our monthly team video coaching calls on zoom so you get to ask any questions you've got and listen to the questions and answers for other members as well we've got exclusive partner discounts and exclusive partner webinars so recently we've had a 90 minute webinar with alan murchison the performance chef uh, with matt botterell talking about bike fitting and how to go faster and more aerodynamically for less effort um we've had one on hrv uh, we've got partner discounts on hrv our training plans are actually hrv guided so we get you to take your heart rate variability every morning depending on how well you've recovered from your previous day's exercise your plan will change and the advice given will change depending on you know if your hrv drops and your body isn't ready to change all the uh, evidence says you shouldn't be training. So we give you a different training session that day or advice on how to adapt that training session every day. Um, we also have got um, partner meal planning for our members from Performance Chefs. So you get a week's worth of matched meals to the workouts of that day. So Alan's done a brilliant job of producing um, three or four different weekly menus for our athletes that match up. So if you've got a heavy FTP training session, the meals are the right ones for that day. If you've got a long endurance day, the meals the day before that will be matched to that. So you get the right calories and the right macros. It's amazing. And that's all included for free um, as part of your membership for his sort of like these base level meal plans. We also get um, well, we've got more discounts to announce in terms of our partnership with the performance chef that are there to come later on in the next few weeks or so. Um, discounts with bike fitting and aerodynamics advice from Matt Botterell. So we've got loads of stuff. Come in and check it out. I really encourage you. So remember, if you join before Monday, the 6th of July, you're going to get that extended all the way to the end of September 2021. 
All right. Our interview of the week this week is brought to you by Thriver.co. So simple at-home finger prick blood test that you can do to tell you all about your health and what's going on in your body. So for athletes, you can have your iron checked, your testosterone, your red blood cell count, liver function, vitamin B9, B12, vitamin D. Or if you're focused on health and aging, you can have your thyroid function looked at, diabetes, cholesterol, omega-3 and omega-6. Basically, every test you can imagine, you can add or take away as part of the package. And all you've got to do is take this tiny little finger prick on the side of your little finger. You squeeze about five or six little drops of blood into a tiny test tube. You seal it up, you label it, you put it in a plastic bag. The whole thing takes less than 10 minutes from opening the box to having it sealed and ready to go to the post box. It couldn't be simpler. And you guys can get a discount. You can use the code OxygenAddict10 to get 10% off your uh, all subscriptions, which is awesome. So this week's interview of the week is with three-time Kona winner and two-time 70.3 world champion, Crowey Craig Alexander. Craig, welcome onto the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you doing today? I'm good, Rob. Thanks for thanks for the invite to come on. Always always good to chat and shoot the breeze. Well, listen, it has been it's been a goal of mine to have you on the show. You you were sort of one of my like one of my inspirations back in the day when I was when I was taking racing seriously. And three time Ironman World Champion is is you know, it's the pinnacle of the sport, man. There's not many people who can say that. So um, firstly, let's ask the, the, the question that's going through my mind straight away. You're still racing. How is that possible, man? You haven't stopped. Every time the results come up, I had, who was I talking to the other day? Was it Sam Appleton? And he was saying, <laughs> yeah, Crowe's still, still handing it to me. <laughs> so you've well, had a career that spanned, what, close to, close to 30 years? Quarter of a century. Wow, quarter of a century now. It's um, yeah, this is my twenty fifth year racing as a pro. Uh, what can I say? I'm a glutton for punishment. I love that it. That is so. so inspirational. Yeah, I you know I think it's I was late to the sport. I played football until I was twenty, um, and I think that helped develop my aerobic capacity. Obviously, a, a football game goes for ninety minutes, and I pr- played at quite a high level for for a long time. I played the game for fifteen years and. So I started late, which I think was a disadvantage early in my career in that other athletes my age had come through as juniors and um, had had good coaching and had more of a background in the sport. But I think at the other end of a career, it's I guess it's played to my advantage where whilst I'm old, I guess my triathlon age was was younger than other athletes my age, particularly in the 30s, early 30s and, you know, mid-30s when other athletes are starting to retire. I, I didn't maybe have the wear and tear or the emotional baggage um, damage mm. that they may have had and, and all the burnout. So, um, yeah, I'm very proud of, of a long career. It's gone quarter of a century. It's a long time to do anything. And, you know, I think what I'm most proud of is just the consistency. Um, you know, even now when I race, I don't race as often and, Certainly, my my year is not scheduled around the races. It's it's more the other way around now. But when I race, I'm very serious about putting out a uh, a performance that I know I'm capable of, which I think is still world class. Um, I was still able to win three of the five races I did last year, and it's motivating to race the good athletes. Um, and you know, I, I certainly haven't contested a world title for a few years, but regional championships and national champs, the other big races, I. You know, it's motivating for me to race the next generation of superstars. Certainly a lot of great athletes out there running around and 
I guess it, it makes me feel young because I'm still doing things <laughs> that I used to do in my 20s. And I mean, I, I really do. I just, I think when you're a competitive beast, you never lose that desire for competition. Um, part of it is performing well, though. So, you know, you have to factor that in. And I guess it's just, it's, I've just got to be careful now with so many other things going on, businesses and, and you know, a full portfolio of sponsors and a family that, like I said, it's not my day-to-day priority to go out and train all day like I used to. So um, now what I do is I, I, I sort of check all the other boxes and when there's a gap in the schedule and there's not a lot of travel or promotional work to do, you know, I, I, I'll schedule a race and ramp the training up for four or six weeks to a, to a very high level and, I think, you know, one of the benefits of a quarter of a century of aerobic conditioning is it doesn't take too long to to really get the engine fired up again. And, you know, and, and training is still a part of my daily routine. I train on average about two hours a day. Um, so I'm knocking out about 15 hours. And like I say, when I get that nice window, I can ramp it up to a lot more than that if I need to. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite amazing, isn't it, how we, we see this even with age groupers, that if they if they kind of take it less seriously for a period, as long as they keep training every day for an hour or so, it doesn't take more than, like you said, that sort of four to six week window to really feel as though you're kind of in inverted commas back in shape again. And I think that's one of the great things about the sport, isn't it? You can almost take a step back from it for a period, focus on family or business or whatever. And then if you get a bit of time to do a bit more, it somehow it somehow comes back really quickly. Absolutely. I think it's one of the big benefits of the way aerobic endurance works and aerobic fitness is all that work. You know, you hear people talk all the time about your base and, you know, what does that mean? Well, what it means is when you have a lot of years of good training practices and good aerobic conditioning, you know, you lose a bit, no question, off your top end and maybe some muscular strength. I think as you get older, that's one of the things you need to be really mindful of. But the actual engine, the the heart and lung strength stays with you for a long time. And, And, you know, you can have weeks or months out of the sport and or just dial the training right back to more maintenance level and yeah that that conditioning all those hard weeks hard sessions hard months of training that you've put in certainly you know it's like going to the bank and and making some withdrawals later on that's it's all there for you so let's take you right back to the start then because 20 really is quite old to get into the sport isn't it in the in the scheme of the way things go today where kids are picked up at sort of 10 11 12 years old and put onto performance pathways i'm imagining growing up in australia there's an awful lot of swimming and biking and running and outdoor exercise goes on as part of everyday life was it genuinely the first triathlon that you'd done back when you were back when you were 20 had you kind of dabbled in them when you were a kid no, I mean, I done. I, I it was about nineteen or twenty when I started doing biathlons. There used to be a lot of what we called biathlons. I think they're called aquathons now. Swim, run races, or yeah. sometimes they reverse the order. It was run, swim, or sometimes it was run, swim, run. Um, you know, a lot of the surf clubs used to have them weekly, um, and I'll, a few of my buddies were doing them actually at university. So I used to go along, and I, I think I did my first one when I was about nineteen. Um, they used to be. They could be anywhere from two or three hundred meter swim to a five hundred meter swim. Usually, they were about a four or five hundred meter swim and a five k run. So, but I, yeah, I, I did those for probably eight or twelve months before I did a triathlon. But no, I was, I had never done a what I would now consider a proper swim session with a swim squad <laughs> until I started doing triathlons. Um, you know, I did play water polo in high school for for a few years. 
never really did any bike training. Like I used to ride my bike around the neighborhood with my buddies when I was a kid. Uh, but my, my main sport was soccer. I played soccer. I trained for soccer three or four nights a week. We played one or two games a week. And I did that from when I was six until I was 20. Um, so, you know, I guess triathlon came on my radar when I was about 16 or 17. I started watching the races on television, particularly the Hawaiian Ironman. Um, and, you know, I, I also used to see some races like this in Kuroi Half Ironman on television or the Chicago Triathlon because we had we had a couple of superstars in Australia, Greg Welsh and McKeeley Jones, who were winning those races. So they were often on television in the in Australia. You could you could see them and so I knew about the sport, but um yeah, I guess it wasn't until twenty twenty one that I did my first one. And like you say, that was just it's a different time now. I mean, I think the sport's evolved and grown up and kids are, are scouted. The talent identification starts a lot earlier. The the training starts a lot earlier. There's also a lot just a lot more coaches and pathways than there used to be. There never used to be I mean, if you consider now, next year in Tokyo, I think will be the the sixth inclusion of triathlon in the Olympic Games. You know, when I started in the mid-90s, it hadn't been in the Olympics. So, you know, the big races that you watched were like Hawaii. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, yeah. or the ITU World Championships, I guess. So um, it's just a different era. And that's a good thing. I mean, our sport's grown up. It's evolved a little bit. And we now have Olympic status. And, you know, I guess if you were a 20 or a 25-year-old, now you would have grown up watching triathlon in the Olympics. So, yeah, just a different experience, and, and there's a lot more pathways now because of the Olympic status and you have federations, national governing bodies set up the way they are. I think they get funding based on Olympic representation and, and medals, so they try and scout the talent a, a lot younger. And like you see with athletes like Javier and Ali and Johnny, and they just they start in the sport a lot earlier and they have great coaching. And you can see it when you watch – them even later in their careers going into the longer distance with their techniques and you can just see they've been well coached and you know it's part of the evolution of our sport I guess it's I think it would be all it would be very very hard now to start as a 21 year old and um because by by that age a lot of athletes have been in the sport for five or ten years already yeah um, and in those systems and those pathways that you talk about having access to great coaches and other good athletes to train with and a lot of junior races, um, you know, it's school now. My daughter does it. It's it's a school sport triathlon, um, and also it's it's a college, a college sport in the US now. Um, so, yeah, it's gone on to a lot of things. It's, mm. it's a different. Era. I mean, I guess I've spanned a couple of eras, so you see you see different patterns and, and things un evolve. I guess, but it, it's all good and it's great great for the sport to see. I think Olympic representation or Olympic status has been really good for our sport to take it to a wider audience and, and give us that recognition. You know, I spent a lot of time in the U.S. and now there's college scholarships for, for triathlon um, along with some of the other traditional sports. So, yeah, it's just – it's really nice to see. When you look back, um, obviously you've raced across all distances, all manner of different events. What has been your favourite distance to race at? That's a good question. Um, you know, the speed came most naturally to me. I think in high school, I was always one of the quicker runners in, in my soccer team, my football team. Um, you know, when we'd have the school athletics carnivals, I always seemed to do well in four and 800 events, the four and the eight, and, and usually the 15 as well. Um, but I had pretty good, I guess, 
across country when it was two or three K, I used to make it through to, to zone and regional and even state level um, sometimes just off my soccer training because we did quite a bit of fitness work. Um, we call guys like you sport billies in the UK. It's a sport billy, someone who comes from the football team and decimates the cross country team. It's like, where's that guy come from? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think soccer is a great sport. I mean, I've got my son into it. Obviously, the skill. I mean, it's still my favourite sport. I love football. I love the EPL. Um, you know, I grew up watching Liverpool FC because Craig Johnson, the Australian, played yeah, for Liverpool. Yeah, of course. Yeah. In the 80s. And, um, you know, so I, I used to get up in the middle of the night and watch the FA Cup finals. And So you um, must be hoping the Premier League kicks back off then so Liverpool yeah. get, to, get to take it home this year. It's been a long time between drinks for the Reds, and, and I think they deserve it this year because um, they, they had a great yeah. season last year and City just got on top of them, but I think they've deserved it. So it would be nice um, if they got a few games in towards it just to, I guess, validate the whole thing. Um, have you yeah, ever no, seen them play? Have you ever have you ever managed to get over and see any of their games? Mate, I haven't, you know, and my dream is to take my son to Anfield. Oh, we've got to try and hook you up, man. Three-time well, man, man, world champion. I'll, I'm going to put some calls in for you. I've got some, some friends who know some people my, there. That is my dream to go to Anfield and see a home game. Um, obviously watched it on television that many times. And, um, yeah, and, and a lot of – actually, a few Aussies. Well, Harry Kuehl played for the Reds as well. Uh, he was part of that. 05 Champions League winning team in Istanbul and uh yeah yeah so man I, I'm a big Reds fan and you know when I play FIFA 20 with with my son we're, we're always Liverpool FC that, that's the team <laughs> here that, that's who we are so um, oh that's great man when I play yeah. I was a I was a PE teacher for nearly 20 years and a lot of the kids I coached when they were little munchkins ended up going on to play professional so my FIFA team is made up now of kids that I coached when they were at school. So you can kind of bring That's them all in. It's just brilliant. That's sensational. I mean, I just think the EPL is, I mean, I'm a huge sports fan. I spend a lot of time in the US. So, yeah. you know, I get into the NBA when we're over there in the NFL. But for me, the EPL is the best sporting league in the world um, in all sports. I just I, I just love everything about it. So, um, yeah, if I could get to Anfield with my son. I mean, I bought him. He, he runs around now. I help coach his team, his junior team. He, he runs around in a Liverpool jersey when we're at training. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – I can't even remember what the question was. You know, I was going to say, we need to get past that. Your favourite distance to race over. What was it looking okay. back over? Of all the races that you've had, because you've had success at every distance. Yeah, which... I felt most comfortable at sort of Olympic distance and half Ironman. For me, Ironman was a real challenge. I didn't do okay. my okay. first Ironman until I was 34. And when I stepped up to that distance, a lot of the guys I was racing, I guess like Norman and Farris and Tim and Macca, they had five or ten years of that sort of longer distance training in their bodies and experience. So I felt I had to fast track. Um, What year was it you moved up to Ironman? What year was that? 07. Okay. 07. So by that point, I'd been in the US for five or six years just on the – sort of the non-drafting circuit over there. My, my schedule each year was made up of races like Lifetime Fitness in Minnesota, mm. Chicago, L.A. There was um, a lot of money Ed- around, wasn't there, back then in that series? It was, uh, yeah. was yeah. It something like 200 grand a race and 200 grand bonus or something like that. So it was yeah. very, very lucky to be the recipient on the, on the end of one of those paydays yeah. in 05 by 
the Lifetime Fitness Race in Minnesota. At the time, yeah, it was the highest priced purse in the history of our sport. Very unique format, invitation only race. You pretty much had to have a world title or an Olympic medal on your resume to get in. Yeah. Or be one of the guys dominating on the U.S. non-drafting circuit, and it was a cool race because it was the one day a year where people from the ITU and the non-drafting circuit and even half Ironman athletes came together and raced. Um, yeah, and then they threw in that sort of battle of the sexes format as well. They had that uh, equalizer where they gave the girls a head start. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was a very cool format. So what they used to do was look at every Olympic distance race in a 12-month period leading up to the race, and they had some equalizer equation where they could crunch the numbers and look at the average spread between the male and female winner, the top 10, and then they gave the girls a predetermined head start. And, and the year I won, I think it was 9, 9.32 or 9.34. So each year we would stand on the beach and they'd have the big clock, the girl, they'd fire the gun, the girls would charge into the water and we'd watch the clock count down and so yeah, obviously it was a race yeah. within a race. So you had to, you wanted to you know win either the male or the female race, but a lot of the big money, the bonus money, came for first across the line as well. So I um I was able to shake Simon Whitfield off about five k into the run, and I was leading the men's race and caught up to Emma Snowsell at about seven k into the run. Um, yeah, took home the big paycheck. So yeah, there were there were there was I mean the lifetime fitness race in Minnesota. I think ran from o two to o six. And then off the back of that, there was another one in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, High V. Mm. Uh, that ran for about five or six years as well. So, yeah, it was very, it was a very lucrative circuit, the U.S. circuit, for a long time. And I think it just, it sort of just ran its course because then what happened was, I mean, with the Olympics now going into its second or third cycle, I mean, if you're a short course athlete, then that, that's, then that became the circuit you had to be on. You know, you had to get Olympic qualification, get points. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess about 2010 or 11, a lot of those really iconic, well-known races that had the big prize purses sort of just disappeared in the U.S., which was, was a real shame. But, um, again, just the evolution of our sport. Yeah. And was that really what led to the move to the, to the longer distance stuff? Was it, was it following, the, following where the profession was headed almost? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. You know, a career just – there's an element of planning and it sort of meanders along and it takes on a sort of a, a personality of its own as well. I mean, after the Sydney Olympics, I, I thought, you know, I, I really should try out for Athens. And of course, the, between Sydney and Athens, you had the Com Games in Manchester in 02. And so I thought, well, that, that should be my, my goal. And so I got, I got third at the Aussie champs in 01 um, at Malulaba, which was an ITU race. And, made the world's team that year for ITU racing and also got put on the, the squad, the train on squad for Manchester. Um, the two final selection races happened to be in uh, early 2002. And unfortunately I got the chicken pox. Um, oh, really? Got the chicken pox 10 days before the first selection, final selection race. And yeah, which ruled me out. I, I couldn't really train for six or seven weeks. It was no. terrible, terrible virus when you get it as an adult. And Oh yeah. You're not doing anything for six weeks, are you, when you've got that? God bless you. So it was a long rehab and missed, missed the two final selection races and obviously missed the the team for Manchester and also the the team for the ITU Worlds that year, and yeah, which was disappointing, but I just thought, well, I've just got to rehabilitate, get, get healthy, which is what I did. My, all my focus went into that. And 
started back with some easy training in about sort of May, June. I thought I'm ready to race again soon. And I looked around and thought, well, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in the frame for any ITU races this year. Um, and so it led me to the US circuit, which was probably where I was always headed anyway, because as I, as I mentioned to you right off, off the cuff, they were the races that I'd seen on television. That was the circuit that I'd read about in magazines. Um, they were the races that I knew. Um, so yeah, and I think it was May or June when I got healthy, I went, I headed to the US for the first time and never really looked back. I, I found my niche over there. I started doing, I had, a, I wouldn't say I had a hall of fame season that first year in, in the US. I think I did, I packed 18 races into a compressed season, but I got on the podium 14 times. And wow, I think wow. I was pretty consistent. I, I came to the attention of some companies, so started getting some sponsors. And, you know, I think that that back half of, it's funny, you know, often when you have an, an injury or, or an illness, when you come back, the rest sometimes does you good. It can be a blessing in disguise. And the back half of the 2002 season, I had a great season. You know, I got I got third in, in Chicago, which was one of the big races in the US. I got, I got second in LA behind Craig Walton, but beat, beat athletes like Lessing, Spencer Smith, um, Olivia Marceau, who was the ITU world champ 18 months before, Paul Amy, um, you know, a lot of the good ITU athletes, Matt Reed, Conrad Stoltz, um, and then came back to Australia and got, got second in Noosa behind behind Craig Walton, won a couple of um, half Ironman races, one up in Foster and one in Phuket, uh, pretty well-known race over in Thailand. So, yeah, I, I think I just found my niche. I really enjoyed the racing in the US. Um, each race seemed to have a big expo. The whole industry seemed to be there. I could mm. see a pathway forward in terms of getting sponsors and, and how the industry works. So it was kind of, I guess, my initiation to the business side of the sport as well and that sort of professional side to it. And never really looked back from there, actually. Went back to the US every year after that and still dabbled in um, some ITU races. I, don't, I didn't do any uh, ITU races in 02, I think. 03, I did... I did a couple. I think I got a third and a fourth or a couple of fourths. There was a world, couple of World Cup races in Australia. Um, but my main thing was was the US um, circuit again. Same in 2004. Uh, I don't think I did any World Cup races in, in 04. My main races were on on the US circuit, you know, Chicago, LA, Lifetime Fitness again. Um, you know, there, were, there was a couple of big ITU races in the US. Each year I would jump into the US Pro Champs, um, which was usually in Boston or and had had a decent amount of success at that race. So, but to answer your question, I guess I just was in that comfortable. You know, when you find a niche and it's something you enjoy and you're getting good results and, and nice validation as an athlete, I just kept going back for that for more on the US circuit. And then, you know, had had a couple of good good wins in '04. I won um, Chicago for the first time and Los Angeles. Um, in sort of stacked fields against all the guys I'd been chasing. You know, it was finally my turn to crack the tape. Um, 05, I won the Lifetime Fitness Race, which was which was a big deal with that prize purse of 200000 US dollars. And, you know, to that point, I, had, I don't think I'd lost a half Ironman race for a good few years, but there was no sort of official series. Um, but that all changed in 2006 with the advent of the 70.3 series and, and then um, – 
obviously it culminated with the World Championship, the inaugural 73 yeah. World. So that became my focus for 2006. And I was lucky enough at the start of the year to win St. Croix um, and qualify to go to the 70.3 Worlds in Florida. And then, and then I won Florida. Um, so that was my first world title, but also qualified me to go to Kona in 2007. And that was just... I guess my natural pathway into, and it, it had been floating around in the back of my mind for a good few years by then, you know, it was the race I'd first seen on television. It was the race I dreamed about doing. Um, I guess I was just really enjoying for five or six years that non-drafting Olympic distance circuit in the U S. So that's where I went. And, mm. but yeah, mm. by 06, um, I could see a clear pathway to Kona and was lucky enough to, to win the, the 70.3 worlds and get my spot for 07 so I went went to Kona for the first year in 07. Yeah I think we forget don't we looking back that it was it was only sort of 2006 that half Ironmans were rebranded as 70.3s and with the 70.3 worlds at the time it was a bit of like a oh well that's weird why have they changed the name and but with the benefit of hindsight looking back nearly 15 mm-hmm. years you can see that 70.3 series has become so important and in the lives and finances of all the athletes racing long distance, because it, it gives them that series, like you said, and probably has arguably taken the place of like the American circuit that's gone away, yeah. really. Um, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also, I mean, I always feel that those half Ironmans are closer to Olympic distance racing than Ironman anyway. So, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, with, it's a great stepping stone for athletes like Ali who wants, who wanted to at some point go to Kona just doing some 70.3 racing. And I guess it's just the, the way you dip your toe in as you progress through your career and start going to longer races. But yeah, it's been, like you say, in hindsight, it was a great thing for our sport to have that series. So you had really great success that first year at Kona, didn't you? You got, you got second place behind Maka. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, how was your experience of the first time in Hawaii? Obviously, people talk about it's not uncommon to go there and just have an absolute beasting from the island, from the weather, the humidity. And so to, to go and finish second in your first race there is, is a really amazing achievement. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because hindsight's a wonderful thing. And looking back, I was over the moon to get second. Um, and obviously, I was a w- well aware of the history that nobody really goes there and does that well a few a few superstars have like Chrissy and Luke they've won on debut but very rarely does someone get on the podium there on debut and um it was interesting because I, I raced Macca a couple of times earlier that year and I beat him both times and when we got to Kona he was one of the favorites that they were talking about I mean he'd had five or six years there there already and I think the first four or five years he didn't really race that well but the year be- the year prior to that he'd had his breakthrough and That's got his right. first top That's 10 right. which was a second place and so he was now one of the favorites so I kind of thought well if if he's one of the favorites I've surely have got to be in the conversation somewhere like um but it's funny you know I, I'm not naturally a, a confident person and I arrived in Kona and my confidence got eroded leading up to the race, just through different things, you know, different conversations with people. I'd bump into maybe Mark Allen or Welshie or or someone and they'd say to me, oh, you know, you've got to do an apprenticeship here. You've got to, you know, this is the kind of race where maybe it takes you a few years, you know, 
And then I went home after a couple of those conversations and, and I, you know, I read that Mark had taken him six or seven years to, to win there and, and Welshie was seven years. And so I was like, oh, wow, maybe I was very overconfident thinking that I was in the conversation. And, and then I bumped into Paul and Yubi Fraser and who obviously I knew of, I didn't know her personally. And she looked at me and she said, oh, it's great that we finally meet. Geez, you're looking very light. That was the first thing she said to me. You're looking very light. How are you feeling? You're feeling strong. You look too light. I was like, really? Oh, okay, I'd never really thought about it, but thanks for just eroding my confidence a little bit more. <laughs> so, um, you know, throughout the course of the week and, you know, you hear you talk, people talk about Kona and, and what the race week involves and, and that's part of it, I think, all this external noise. And I let it filter in. Um, that Because I was so wanting to embrace the week, I didn't lock myself away. I this is the race I wanted to do. It's the race I'd seen 20 years before on television. Um, and to be there, I was like a kid in a candy store. It was a dream come true, really. So I was out and about and, you know, seeing all these legends and um, people, some of them, some of whom I knew, some I didn't, introducing myself, chatting away, thinking how good's this, you know, past champions everywhere, chatting away. and But it sort of did erode my confidence a little bit and, so when the gun went off, I, I had much more of a conservative mindset for that race, which in hindsight probably wasn't a bad thing. So I was very conservative. I was possibly in my best physical shape ever going into that race, but didn't have the mental experience or the just knowing what it felt like um, to race for that long and that in those kind of conditions and against guys, like I said, who had had done it five or ten years, so they knew. Um, and full credit to Macker, he had a, he had his breakthrough race there. I mean, he'd been going there for nearly a decade, and and then raced amazing. Um, I crossed the finish line, and you know, the first thing my wife said to me, Chris sort of had got taken away to medical, and I felt pretty good. Um, and it wasn't really until I got to about thirty or, or thirty, even thirty-five k, that I thought I'm actually going to make it here. Um, right. I'm going. And I was in, I was in second spot for most of the run or for a lot of it but I'll never forget there was one point you know out out on the lava fields I think we'd just come out of the energy lab and I saw my best mate who'd come over to watch and I think I was about a minute behind the lead at that point so Chris was right in front of me and um, I saw my mate and I started yelling him how far how far and he's thinking what's he talking about because he looked up he could you know you could see Chris and he said, well, what do you mean how far he's, he's right there? And I'm like, no, no, not not to him. Behind, how far behind? And and I guess that showed where my mind was at. I, I just kept thinking that at any moment the walls were going to fall in on me because that's what happened to Paula, that's what happened to Mark, that's what happened to Dave, um, that's what happened to everybody. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not Dave, maybe not Dave. Dave had good success early, but everybody else – you know, and I'm thinking, well, why should I be the guy who just comes on in here and, you know, sets the world on fire from from the very first race I did? So I, I sort of had a negative mindset. But to be honest, you, you, you're, I guess, all those experiences stand you in good stead. I think that first experience was a good one. Um, yeah. Obviously, finishing on the podium first time, it gives you a lot of confidence that, you are in the conversation, actually, and 
it's a distance that I hadn't really raced. Um, it was all new against hardened professionals, the best in the world. So, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Um, but, yeah, I never forget my wife. I crossed the finish line and she said, oh, how do you feel? I said, I feel pretty good. And she said, yeah, I don't think you went hard enough. That was the first thing she said to me. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe not. But, you know, when you've never run a race over eight hours in these sorts of conditions, you don't know. I mean, one thing that stuck in my mind indelibly was Paul and Newby Fraser passing out on the Leahy Drive that year when she was in the lead. And she'd won the race, I think, already five or six or maybe even seven times at that point. And so I used to just think, well, if someone – who's done the race for over a decade and has won it six or seven times, can get it wrong to the point where they collapse 400 yards from the finish, then as a rookie you need to be pretty pretty careful, pretty conservative. So I think that mindset served me well. And obviously, you know, I learned a lot because I came back that next year and was able to, to go one spot better. Yeah. Ironman is, is such a unique test of that, like, line between physical and mental endurance. I remember going to watch... Uh, Mark Allen gave a seminar and he said the year he finally beat Dave, he said with about six miles to go, the only thoughts going through his brain were, firstly, I think I can win this. And secondly, I don't think I can take another step. And he said for yeah. six miles, those two thoughts rotated yeah. around his brain. And looking back, he can't believe he even got to the finish line, let alone had the push up the hill. Do you think then, looking back honestly, do you think... I know hindsight's a wonderful thing. Do you think you had it in you to, to pull yourself back up to Mackie's shoulder coming out of the energy lab and maybe the race played out differently? Oh, no question. No, no question. But again, it just, you know, these are hypotheticals. And, you know, who's to say, had I, that all the heartache Chris had experienced for six years didn't spur him onto something else because, you know, it spurred him onto another, a higher level. Um, you know, and, and that's the fascinating thing about racing where the mental yeah. side of it comes in. And, you know, I, I had heard an interview with Mark along those lines of what you just mentioned um, where he said something along the lines of, you know, even the years he won there, the six times he won, you know, each one of those occasions there, there was a moment or two or multiple through the marathon where he thought, I don't think I'm going to finish. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought listening to that, well, if the guy who's winning the race or towards the front of the race is thinking that, what's everybody else thinking? <laughs> um, you know, for me, that set the table of just how tough a challenge this is. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, there's no question. I was I had another gear in 07, but I was very conservative. And, and, and ultimately, your performance is a mix not only of the physical conditioning, but the, the mental, the cognitive ability to, to dive deep and go down into those places you don't like to go to that because they hurt a lot and do it at the right time. And, you know, like I said, Chris was coming off five or six really heartbreaking races there. And, and maybe that was his perfect storm coming together. So there's no question physically I had an extra gear in 07, but the, the performance you get is a combination of not only your physical conditioning, but all those things, your experiences, um, your confidence level, um, just learnings from earlier in your career. And, and, yeah, that was me, I guess, developing sort of, um, like I said, my physical conditioning was great that year, but more of a mental arsenal to come back and know that I could push harder for longer and that, you know, I wasn't going to end up laying on the ground. Um, 
or in the gutter somewhere with my head in an ice bucket. <laughs> well, you came back, didn't you, the next year? You won in 08, 09, and in 11. And then you had the battle with, with Macker and, and his gang in 2010. Firstly, what was your favourite of your three wins? Which, which is your favourite of those three looking back? They were all it's – like, it's like asking who's your favourite kid. Um, <laughs> every week you, you might give a different answer. Um, so, look, 08 was special because you win a race that you'd seen on television 20 years before and before you were even a triathlete. So to actually be there and be running down a lead drive, I remember thinking 15 times between um, where you make that right-hand turn and it's half a mile to the finish – between there and the finish, is this really happening? Because I dreamt about this and how have I got here? (laughs) Um, And it's an incredible feeling and all the pain leaves your body and, um, yeah, I wish wish I could articulate it a a lot better uh, and and you could bottle it and give it to people to feel. It's just a special feeling when you realise a dream and a lot of hard work and also repaying a lot of people have put faith in you too. Um, You know they're getting as much excitement out of that experience as you are. So 08, it's, it's incredible. You, you know, I was kept thinking, have I really done this? Is this real? And, and then it was real. It steps up a level. To defend is, is so hard because you become the marked person. You go from someone who may have the potential to, to win to someone who actually that person can win. And um, so now people are not only – expecting you to do well, but they're formulating a strategy uh, to combat you, I guess. Um, and 09 was, was gratifying for that reason, that I actually made a lot of mistakes in the lead-up. I overtrained. Uh, I, I got heat stroke three weeks before the race in Kona, trying to cram in a lot of training at the last minute. Um, it had been a very busy year. Uh, we had our second child, Austin, um, obviously, I'd come off a great win, so I had a lot more sponsors, a lot more media obligations, and I was a year older, which is one thing I didn't factor in. You know, a good friend of mine once said, every year, you, you know, as an athlete, particularly when you get into your, your sort of mid to mid to late 30s, you're a year older, so it's it's kind of like a blank canvas. You don't know how your body's going to respond. Um, you need to be mindful of that in terms of your training loads and all of those things. And I just got it in my head in 09 that I had to do everything I'd done in 08, exactly the same, on the same day nearly. And my wife thinks, you know, she always says I'm a little OCD like that. Um, but, of course, I was a year older. I had a, We had a, a newborn baby. I had a lot more traveling. And um, so what 09 represents to me was just a mentally tough victory because I was on the ropes physically many times during that race. But something Mark Allen had said to me too, in, I'd seen him in race week, and he said, once you win this race once, you carry a cachet or a, a credibility into the race where your competitors will give you a lot of respect and a lot of um, – they, they will just be just be almost waiting for you. Uh, oh, there's Crowey. He's, here he is again. Yeah. He's, he's, he's about to pounce. So I just kept thinking, okay, I need to cash in on that. I need to stay close enough to the front that they think, oh, here he is. He's just biding his time. And But I was really struggling. And for me, 09 just represents a very painful experience. But I just – I kept getting dropped from the front group. Liado was off the front. The front group had a lot of guys who had just – who had 
done the Olympics the year before and had stepped up um, and finished top 10 in the Olympics to a lot of great athletes, Andy Rayler, Andy Potts, Rasmus Henning, Dirk Bockel. And one thing I had done well in 09 is I knew that with a lot of the ITU guys coming up, the swim would be quicker. So I picked my swim up um, in the last few months before the race in 09, which served me well because I came out close to the front in that little front group. Um, so, so that that helped that helped uh, put me in a good position, but I battled the whole ride. And, you know, it wasn't really until we got to, I kept getting dropped from the front group and then I'd ride back on, I'd get dropped and ride back on. And they were all looking, they were all looking over their shoulder, looking for me. And, um, you know, there, there was a big group coming from behind. Norman Stadler typically would drag a big group. He'd come through like a snowball that would get bigger and bigger. He'd pick up little, little groups and they'd jump on the back and, I knew Macker had missed the front group in the swim. He was back there somewhere, and I knew at some point Norman would come past. He'd jump, everyone was going to jump on Norman, and at some point they'd get to the front. So I was just hoping I would start feeling better. And you know, it wasn't until we went through special needs at about 100K. I just I had, I had a Red Bull in there, and I just downed this Red Bull, and I felt better. And I actually went to the front of the group then, so I, th- I think they started thinking, oh, here he comes, here, here we yeah. go. But I went on the front, I actually slowed the pace a little bit because I still wasn't feeling great. Um, and I knew Lieto was slowly riding away and I thought, well, um, this is the only card I can play right now because I'm not feeling great. And I knew we'd get caught and we did. We got caught by Norman's group at about 150 kilometres into the into the ride. So I think we'd just come over Scenic Point, heading back for Kona and, and the big group caught us. And but yeah, I just I just hung in there and I, I ran shoulder to shoulder with Rayler for 25 kilometers I think and finally shook Andy off and it's amazing you know I, I then next thing you know I look up and Liato's on the horizon he had a 12 minute lead off the bike and that's when you see the mental side and that that's why 09 was such a special victory because I I didn't quit at any moment not even for one second at any moment in that race. Do I, you know I it's. Speak- I was going to say, it's really interesting to hear your perspective on this because the outsider's perspective, watching the replay, there's that classic slow motion shot of you running past Lioto with perfect form and Lioto kind of tries to pick himself up for about five steps and you physically see him crumple and he's just like, ah, it's done. But to the outsider, it looks it looks like you've perfectly paced it and, and caught him at exactly the right time. So yeah, it's interesting to hear your side of it, man. It was that was a very gutsy victory, and <laughs> you, you you hear people talk about the importance of mentality, and 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 I saw it that day because when I saw Chris, and I knew he'd had a twelve minute lead off the bike, and and, and then at thirty three thirty four kilometers he was right in front of me, and I think I caught him at thirty five k with seven k to go. It was like this weight was lifted and it was the best I felt all day and that's the mentality of that that's you know you hear people talk about attitude is everything your your thoughts if they're positive they control the way you feel and then the way you act it's it's just that um flow on effect and I was able to hang in there and stay tough mentally and I, I think you know when I ran past Chris yeah, it's the best that last six or seven kilometers was the best I felt all day. And it's so funny because um, it hadn't been a comfortable win. Um, so for me, 09 sticks out as a gutsy 
sort of win. And, and then 11 was great because I, I won it in a different way. I wore an aero helmet for the first time. I got a, a suit that fitted properly, got in the wind tunnel, and just thought I'm going to be – rather than just my, – my MO in Kona was to swim – close to the front, as close to the front as possible. I always wanted to be in the top five out of the water or close to it. Bike with that front group, you're always going to have a few Uber bikers going off the front, but be in that front group and then run a, a 240. I mean, I always wanted to run a 236 there. That was my aim. Really? So yeah. I would ride hard, but knowing that I wanted to run a 236. So I was never maxing out on the bike, not even close to it. I wanted to run a 236. Obviously, 2010 changed that. So I came back in 2011, thought I'm going to have a different mentality going into this race where I'm, as soon as the first person goes on the bike, I'm going too. And that was Lieto. He went at the airport, so that's 20 kilometres in. I just put my head down and bridged across to him. Didn't look back for about 15 or 20 miles. And then when I finally did look back, um, Marino Vanunaka had, had jumped across, has had Luke McKenzie but couldn't see anyone else. So that main group that had Andy Raylard and Rasmus Henning and, and, and those guys, um, you know, that front group of swimmers, I couldn't, I couldn't even see them. So, and I just put my head down and kept going. And, and even at about 140 or 150 kilometres into the, the ride, um, Liado had been trying to attack and I was sort of closing down most of it. And he went again and I went with him and we dropped Luke and Marino and I just thought, I don't really have to do that. I mean, I, I need to be sensible here. I was feeling so comfortable though. And, you know, I thought Marino's really the guy I should be worrying about because he'd run a 239 in Austria that year and done a seven-hour 39 or a seven-hour 40 Ironman. Yeah. So the, the two big performers in 11 were Marino, I think he'd done a 740, and Ray Lert had done a 739 or a 740 in Roth. So those were the two guys I was thinking are really – I uh, had to watch out for and, and Marino was still with me on the bike. So um, I thought, why am I trying to ride across with Liada? I should just wait with Mar Marino. And it's interesting. We Chris st slowly started riding away. I think he ended up getting two minutes on us. But going through one of the last aid stations as we headed back into Kona, I heard Marino getting a little upset and yelling for, 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 for Coke and for fuel. And I thought, oh, he, he must be hurting. So um, – you know, we've all had those moments in races when you're getting a little low on sugar and you're right on the edge. Um, Coke, I need some Coke. Where's the Coke? And um, I heard Marino, he was behind me. I heard him say that and I thought, okay, he, he's not as comfortable as I, I think I'm pretty comfortable here. So, yeah, so 11 was a sweet victory too because I kind of set it up on the bike and I was known for winning them on the run, I guess, yeah. or being close. And Whereas I was second off the bike that year and I think I, I biked a low 420. And did it quite comfortably. Actually had a lower power, average power than I'd had the year before. So, but that's where you saw the benefit of aerodynamics. Um, yeah. Man was very comfortable and then ran a, a two I think it was a 243 marathon in the end. And, and even then I, I cramped up at the end of that race in 2011. I had to stop and walk and I cramped up. I, I had such a big lead coming out of the energy lab. I think it was close to 10 minutes. I I wouldn't say I got complacent, but, I, you know, you're in that place that you want to be in, and I ran through special needs and didn't grab my, my salt tablets, um, which was a mistake because I started getting twinges about two kilometres later. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and I cramped the last 7K of the run. But, oh, man. Yes. I mean, I know that's I've given a long-winded answer, but they're all, they're, they're all special for different reasons. Those, no, it's, those 
It's great to hear the stories from, from the horse's mouth. Listen, let me ask you finally um, about your sponsors and also about things that you do to extend your longevity. I, mean, I don't think there's anybody who's racing as successfully as you for so long. So go through a few of the, the companies that have helped you out over the years and, and some tips for us to how we can kind of replicate your longevity. Yeah, well, I just think, look, I was obviously blessed with good biomechanics. So I, I, I haven't had too many injuries. I've had a few illnesses, like I mentioned, the chicken pox and a, f- a few other things. But, I mean, our sport is based on efficiency, really, and, and repetitive motion that you replicate time and again. So I think efficiency is very important, but also injury prevention is important. So I've spent a lot of time in the gym with strength and conditioning routines um, and, and just pure strengthening routines later in my career as well. Um, I think st- you lose a bit of strength as you get older, so you have to be mindful of that. But just a lot of really good functional exercises in the gym um, where the strength gains translate well to the three disciplines that we do in our sport and just load the muscles through range to strengthen them up and, and activate to a lot of activation um, of the muscles around your core, like your glutes and your deep abdominals. You know, those troublesome areas that triathletes often have problems with. Um, so I've been very, very vigilant in working um, on those exercises, going to the gym two or three times a week, but also having a little setup at home that I like a yoga mat and a Swiss ball and a couple of things. So, And these exercises are not revolutionary. You can Google, you know, these sorts of exercises, core exercises for, for running and cycling, and there's a lot. There's a, a lot of great exercises that you can progress to and make them more challenging as you as you progress and get better, you can make the exercise more challenging and, and you know, monitor your progression that way. So I've been big on that. I'm, I'm also, you know, I think as I've gotten older, um, just be m- much more mindful of recovery techniques. And, and, you know, good recovery starts with sleeping and eating. Um, they're, the ma- they're the cornerstones of recovery, getting good sleep, eating well. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't eat ice cream and chocolate and drink the odd beer. Um, I do all of those things, but I think that's part of the reason I've had the longevity as well, because, you know, you've got to know yourself and you've got to, uh, if you want to do anything for a long period of time, you've got to make it fun and enjoyable and have a sustainable routine. Yeah. But to, to really drill down on the nutrition, yeah, I've just tried to do, to really find products like protein powders or, um, obviously electrolyte too, when, when you're exercising and, replenishing um immediately afterwards you've just got to be so mindful of all those things and and particularly as as you've gotten older uh, as i've gotten older and as we all get older i think that the heart and lungs stay strong but but where you diminish is more the chassis the engine's strong but the chassis needs a lot more tlc you know the muscles the joints the bones um i think it's well documented and the research shows that cardiovascular strength is good into your 40s and 50s but just the body you've got to look after and you know more recently i've partnered with a a company trr out of out of the uk um they've got a pro advanced collagen product um you know i as a as a physio student i learned about the benefits of proper functional movement particularly for joint health um you know this product has marine collagen it's got glucosamine and a lot of the things that are, are well known to help we're just supporting your joints for proper functional movement so that's one thing you know as i've gotten older and and i'm not really i mean i like you mentioned i still like to race and when i race i still like to perform but i've also got 25 years of wear and tear on my body and 
you know, I wanted to, I want to be able to run around and kick the soccer ball with my son and surf with my son and my daughters for years to come. So my nutrition now is based on performance, but it's also based on um, just quality, quality of life. And, you know, I know in a, in a, a sport like ours, particularly, you know, the first two disciplines are non-weight-bearing. Running's a weight-bearing discipline and a lot of the gym exercises are weight-bearing and that puts a lot more load through your joints and your muscles. And you've just got to be mindful of really doing things that I guess can help replenish and recover between sessions and, and long-term. So, um, yeah, that's good. It's protein powders. It's good good protein for recovery, muscular recovery, and also joint nutrition I think is very important you know, we put a lot of stress through our ankles, our knees, and our hips as as triathletes. So, I guess I was lucky. You know, I, I was a physio student before I was a triathlete, and I, I graduated with my physio degree. So, I understood about the principles of physiology. Um, I understood about the principles of endurance training, about good functional movement, biomechanics, and about looking after yourself with nutrition, joint health, muscular health blood yeah. health, all, all of those things. So, yeah, it's 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 funny in our sport, isn't it, because we have such a focus on the training, but the training is only as good as, as the recovery, as the sleeping and the eating, um, the nutrition. And there's, and there's different kinds of nutrition. You know, it starts with hydration before sessions, during sessions afterwards. It starts with um, amino acids and protein immediately afterwards, um, the building blocks of the muscles from the breakdown in previous sessions. And, yeah, also joint joint health is, is a big one, uh, particularly as we get older. So yeah, I just try to keep the old keep the old chassis going, <laughs> give it a bit of TLC. Great stuff, man. Hey, well, listen, that seems like a pretty good place to leave it. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man, and uh, and all the best for your races this year. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, always good to speak with fellow passionate triathletes, and um, yeah, hopefully we can chat again sometime. I hope so, man. All right. I hope you really enjoyed that. It's uh, it's a real honour to have Crowy on the show. It's been a long time ambition of mine to get him on. Obviously, a legend of the sport with those three wins at Kona, and it's it's really interesting to hear, you know, another massive, massive name talking about how he feels that he's always lacked confidence in himself, and it just goes to show it's it's often not the way. It, it doesn't look. It doesn't feel to these big athletes like it looks to us from the outside. I always thought he was invincible. He always ran like a Terminator and I always thought he must have supreme self-confidence. So it's really interesting from a coaching point of view to hear that even some of the most successful athletes of all time still go through the same doubts and fears that the rest of us go through as well. So yeah, loved listening to that. I'd love to know what you hear about that. Give us a, a tweet over at OA Try Podcast and let me know what you think of that interview. All right, guys, there's some discount codes here and deals for you to end the show with Precision Hydration. Use the code OxygenAddict15 for 15% off your first electrolyte order. Over at Thriver.co, you can use the code OxygenAddict10 for 10% off all home blood test subscriptions. And TeamOxygenAddict.com, and go and check that out for all of your triathlon coaching needs from training plans all the way through to bespoke one-to-one coaching and everything in between. All right, remember, there's links in the show notes for all of these sponsors so you don't have to remember them. There's even a link there if you want to have a chat with me about coaching and work out what would be the best way forward for you find out if you're a good fit for our coaching squad, then absolutely drop me a line and we'll work out a time that works for you. So until next week, have a great safe training and racing week, everybody. I'm coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. See ya. See ya.